Holy Spirit, you make these words come alive. Give us ears to hear what you want to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Seated. I'm going to preach today based on that passage from Romans chapter 5. If you want to get your Bible out or take a look at that again in your bulletin, you'll find it helpful as we go along. Now, off the coast of southern Spain, there is a massive limestone rock. And this rock at its peak is over 1,300 feet height, which is twice the height of the St. Louis Arch, over twice. This rock has a surface area of 2.5 miles. It's the rock of Gibraltar. And through the years, this rock has served as a fortress. In the 12th century, there was a Muslim general that established a fort, a castle there. The 19th century, the British Navy made tunnels from this rock, which to shoot their cannons. In World War II, Churchill ordered more tunnels to be built in the Rock of Gibraltar. And it housed soldiers and ammunition and equipment. General Eisenhower conducted the Allied invasion of North Af Africa from the safety of this rock. The Rock of Gibraltar is the logo for the Prudential Insurance Company. You remember the commercial, some of you, most of you I think will remember the line, get a piece of the rock. This rock stands for security and safety. And I thought about that image and that history as I was reflecting on what Rome, uh, uh, Paul rather, is writing to in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 5, because here Paul is telling us that God's people have a rock-solid, unshakable hope. It's a hope that is not crushed by any set of circumstance. It's a hope that comes through the gospel. It's a hope that comes from God to us. Through Jesus Christ. And so I want to talk about that hope today at a time when many people might feel hopeless or we might feel uh, hope beginning to drain away as we look at the circumstances of our world today. We need to reflect on the hope that God gives. And it's a hope that starts with peace, peace with God. You see that in verse 1? Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, now he's made an argument in chapter 4 that Abraham was justified by faith when he believed the promise of God and God credited to him as righteousness. So he's made this argument that God's people are justified by faith, not by works. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This peace that he's talking about is not just an emotional peace or a subjective peace. It's a state of being right with God. And that happens, Paul says, through justification. To be justified means that God declares us righteous in his sight. It's the image of a judge saying, not guilty. How does God justify us? Paul says, by faith, by trust. Faith is a starving beggar stretching out his hands to get the food that he desperately needs. Faith is stretching out our hands to receive what Christ 
And the result of that, of stretching out our hands to Christ and receiving what he gives, is peace with God. As a pastor, my concern, one of my primary concerns, is that everyone in our church has peace with God. Peace with God now, and peace at the hour of their death. An old Anglican bishop wrote these words, When you are near death and the devil whispers words of condemnation, that you've not done enough, that you've not fulfilled God's law, you can acknowledge I am a sinner, but I can also confess that God sent his son into the world, suffering death for me, and Christ gave me his fulfilling of the law. That is peace with God, knowing that I'm right with God because of what God has done in Jesus Christ. It gives us great peace to know that we're justified by faith. Now, later in this passage, Paul tells us the reason why God has provided this way of peace, this way of salvation. The reason is his love. Romans 5.8, God shows his love to us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you are here today, or you're listening to this today, and for any reason, you doubt the love of God. You doubt that God's nature is loving. And there are reasons people bring up. And it's understandable. We live in a world of suffering and pain and injustice. And that raises the question for people, is God really a God of love? And then there's the personal pain that we experience as human beings. Does God love me? Because look at what I'm going through. If you have those kind of doubts, Paul would say, take those doubts to the cross and look to the cross of Christ. God demonstrates, God proves, he gives evidence of his love to us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He says sometimes somebody might be willing to die for a good man. Christ died for us who were ungodly sinners. And even he goes on and says, enemies of God. Even while we were enemies of God, under God's wrath, God found a way to reconcile us to himself, and that is at the cross of his son, Jesus Christ. The cross is God's peace plan. The cross is the way that God makes friends out of enemies, sons and daughters of those who've gone astray. Because of his blood, Paul says we've been justified by his blood. Because of the blood of Christ, we have peace with God. And this peace leads us to what he talks about in the next verse. Through him we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This peace leads us to the hope of the glory of God, as we are brought into a realm of grace. He talks about having access to this realm. This word that Paul uses was used in ancient times to talk about a person being conducted into the presence of a king. 
And so what Paul is saying, through Jesus Christ, we have access into the realm of the King of Kings, into a realm of grace. He has made a way for us to have that access. Through the years, our family's been blessed by other families who have given us access to something that we don't have access to on our own, access to something of theirs, access to a beach house they owned, or access to a cabin at the lake, something like that. And they give us the, the key or the security code to get in. That gives us access. It's something that we don't have ourselves, but because of our relationship and because of their generosity, they give us this access. Friends, Christ gives us access to a whole realm of grace, a whole realm of blessing, the grace of God. We stand in this amazing grace now, and this grace will lead us home to an eternal home, the hope of the glory of God. Paul's talking about heaven. He's talking about the presence of God. I like how one commentator put this. Grace gives us a foothold in the door that one day will swing wide to permit the enjoyment of the glorious presence of the Almighty, a privilege to be enjoyed forevermore. Grace now gives us a foothold into this realm, this door that will swing wide to enjoy the presence of God now and forever. Now, a skeptic will say this idea of the hope of heaven is, is a nice idea, but it's really an empty promise. It's wishful thinking. We need to get over this kind of wishful thinking. And at its worst, the idea of the hope of heaven has been used to just keep people who've been oppressed down, to keep them content with their lowly position on earth. It's Karl Marx who wrote that religion is the opium of the masses. And so some people would say the hope of heaven is this dangerous drug. It's a delusion. Now, of course, as Christians, if you know your history, um, you, you know that there are Christians who believe in the hope of heaven that worked mightily on behalf of the poor and the oppressed. We've not always done that perfectly in Christian history, of course. But there are people who have worked mightily on behalf of the poor and the oppressed, even while they had this hope of glory. But the Apostle Paul writes something here that skeptics don't appreciate, they don't know because they haven't experienced. We hope that they experience this, but it's not a reality in their lives. And that's found in Romans chapter five, verse five. If you look at that verse, listen to what Paul says. This hope does not put us to shame, it does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. A beautiful image of God's love being poured into the hearts of believers. By the way, we see this Trinitarian pattern, don't we? The, the Father sends the Son out of love. The Son gives his life out of love. The Spirit is the love of God poured into our hearts. The triune God acting out of love to save us. It's a beautiful passage of scripture and a beautiful thing to think about. But here's the point I want to make. For the Apostle Paul and the early Christians and any Christian, 
the love of God becomes present to us in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. This is something that is experienced at the depth of our being. And sometimes it's a very tangible experience, the experience of God's presence as the presence of love. It might happen in the context of prayer, personal prayer, or praying with other Christians. It might happen in the context of corporate worship as we sing praises to God, the sense of the love of God touching our hearts. It might happen while you're driving down the road and thinking about scripture or thinking about the beauty of creation, a sense of the presence of God. It might happen as you're coming to take communion, a sense of God's love, personal love for you in your heart. And that's one reason, friends, it's not the only reason, but that's one reason Paul says we can be confident of the hope of glory to come because we've tasted of it, something of it, in our hearts here and now. The love of God in our hearts gives us a basis for hoping in the glory that is to come. Now somebody might say, Paul, get real. Get your heads out of the cloud. Get your head out of the clouds. The world is filled with suffering and pain and injustice. And um, maybe you're suffering today. Maybe you're suffering anxiety. Maybe you're suffering anxiety about the future, the uncertainty of the future, the uncertainty about finances, the uncertainty about your, your health. There's an uncertainty and anxiety about the state of our nation. How can we find hope? in the here and now, in the midst of this suffering. Well, Paul knew about suffering. Paul is writing this from a, a jail cell. Paul was beaten. Paul was stoned. He was lashed because of his faith in Jesus Christ. So I dare say Paul knew about suffering more than most of us. But he had this hope in the midst of suffering. And what he says is that we can trust that God is at work for our good, even in the midst of it. In fact, he says something remarkable. He says, we rejoice in our suffering. We rejoice, or it could be translated, we boast in our suffering. Why would anybody rejoice in their suffering? Because he says, we can trust God is good, demonstrated on the cross, and he's at work for our good. He's at work on our character. When I'm in a bad situation, a bad circumstance, I want God to change the circumstance. But God wants to work on my character in the circumstance. I need to think about how God might be at work shaping my character in difficult circumstances and in suffering. And Paul says there's this chain reaction that happens in suffering. As we go through suffering, looking to God, that suffering produces what? endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and this hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts last week um, actually on Sunday last Sunday I learned that pastor Tim Keller who I've learned quite a bit from just reading his books has been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and, um, of course, not a good outcome statistically for folks who have pancreatic cancer. And so our prayers are with him. And in this 
tweet, he requested prayer for healing, but he also requested prayer for this. He said, I pray that God would, and I want you to pray, that God would wean me from the joys of this life and direct my desire to his presence above all else. That God would wean me from the joys of this life and to desire his presence above all else. And I thought, well, there's a man who is illustrating what Paul is talking about, that in the midst of suffering, I'm trusting that God is going to work on my character. And God is going to direct my hope to something that is even beyond this life, his presence, his immediate presence and glory. And so that's why the Apostle Paul is saying we can have hope, even rejoice in the midst of suffering. I want to wrap this up. I want to ask, how do we respond to Paul's teaching here? Well, first of all, we, we need to make sure, of course, that we have this hope, this hope that comes from the peace of God through the cross of his son, Jesus Christ. Do you have that hope? Do you know that you are right with God? Do you have the hope that God is at work in your life, even on your worst and most painful day, he's at work shaping you? Now, when Paul is writing this, he's operating with an assumption that many people today don't have. So this is a strange assumption, especially in our culture today. And it's hard maybe to grasp the, the good news that Paul is praising God for, he's rejoicing in, if you don't buy into this assumption. It's an assumption that Jesus had as well, and we see it in the Gospel reading. And the assumption is that God is a loving God, but is also a God of justice. And that a day of judgment is coming. And so we saw in our gospel reading where Jesus talks about the judgment to come on those who have not responded to the message of the gospel, the message of the kingdom of heaven that the apostles are proclaiming. And underneath what Paul is talking about, this idea of being reconciled to God through Jesus Christ is such good news because one day we're all going to face the judgment of God. And so we need to have peace with God now so that we can have the hope of glory. We need to be prepared to face the judgment of God. And as I said, a lot of people today are uncomfortable with that idea, that assumption, maybe don't buy into that idea of God. But there it is in Paul and in Jesus and throughout the Bible. But um, there's a pastor here in town, Zach Eswine, he talks about this notion of justice and how we have this longing in our, in our hearts for justice. I mean, right now our nation is talking about issues around justice. But even in the mundane, everyday life, we are concerned about justice. If somebody takes your parking space, you've got the perfect parking space, and you see that this person swooped right in right before you. Get your dander up. It's not right. If a client doesn't pay you, if a friend promises one thing and then does another, as S. Wine says, we feel this sense of pain. We long for things to be right. We want our side of the story to be taken serious. We, we want to be heard. And to say that God is just is to say that God knows. God knows what is needed to make the world right. 
then God is going to give us what we long for. But the problem is none of us meet God's perfect standard of justice. But the good news is that God, out of his love, has made a way for us to be at peace with him. So one way to respond is to make sure that I have this peace with God and to be committed as a church to sharing this hope, this peace, to pointing people to the cross of Christ. In our gospel reading, Jesus says, the harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into the harvest field. In other words, there's people all around who need to know this good news of the kingdom of God. And how true that is in our culture today. The harvest is ripe. We need to pray that the Lord would send laborers into the harvest field who will preach this message. And we need to be committed as a church to continue preaching it. But the second response here to what Paul is saying is simply to rejoice as Christians, to rejoice at what God has given us in Jesus Christ. Paul says it three times in this passage. Rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, verse 2. We can rejoice even in our sufferings, verse 3. And then at the end of this passage, verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I don't know about you, but as I look at the news and I look at my news feed and I see what's on social media, I need to be reminded that there's something to rejoice about, that there's someone to rejoice in, and that is God who has given us this peace and this hope and this salvation. God has given us a rock-solid hope. The world hasn't given us this, and the world can't take it away. So, brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would help us to do that. Help us to contemplate who you are and what you have done for us by giving us your son, Jesus Christ, 